My daddy wants you to know a lot of the episodes have mostly clean language, but this episode has some words in it that aren't meant for all ages. So, if you have kids like me in your house, you may want to put some headphones on for this one. You've been warned. Done, done, done. Bine at vanit, which is welcome in Romanian. So welcome to all of you, whether you are Romanian, whether you are a Romanian gymnast, a Romanian gymnast coach that tells everybody, you can do it, or whether you are just right here in America. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the podcast creator and the host, and I'm very excited to bring to you the second episode of myself speaking with Brad Rothschild. If you listened to the first episode, you got a little bit of what we are going to talk about here. I was excited to have this episode with Brad because he is now my second guest who is in the world of film and filmmaking. The previous episode of A Filmmaker and Myself was with Michael Collieri, which you should go back and check that out. But this one with Brad is a little bit different because as Michael is a more commercial type films, Brad is a documentary filmmaker. So this episode talks a lot about that, about his process, about some of the work that he has done. And it's really, really fascinating. The, the work that he does and what he does get out of it with these relationships that he builds with these people, these real people that have these stories that are fascinating enough to be made into a film and what goes into that. So it's it's a really interesting episode. I'm not just saying that. So I hope you all enjoy and let's dig into this episode with Brad Rothschild. Here we are again with another episode of Daddy Unscripted. We are back with more of Brad Rothschild because you really can't ever have enough. And popular demand was going nuts. I got so many letters and a couple of you sent telegrams. There were some candy grams that I think were for you, Brad. I had some, somebody sent me their panties. <laughs> yeah. After we were talking about that Van Halen. Yeah, seriously. I got, I got some leather chaps. I think they're David Lee Roth's leather chaps, the assless ones. He's He originated, like, all of these workout yoga pants that women are wearing are basically what he was wearing back in 84. It's true. It, I just thought about that because I think my wife has a pair that looks very similar to something I that was maybe in the jump video or something. He was the original Lululemon. Yeah, you should sue them. He should. <laughs> when he gets finished suing Eddie and Alex, then he should yeah, exactly. sue Lemon. I'm just going to change it to Lily Lemon. Yeah. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> I just bought myself like at least two shares of the company by naming totally. it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So if you guys did not listen yet to Brad's first episode, make sure you go back and listen to that because we gave out all the winning lottery numbers for all of the states. And uh, so you'll want to make sure that you go back and listen. Can I get sued if I say that and that it doesn't actually deliver? 
No, you're a character. You're playing a character on a right <laughs> on a on a fictional show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm rich now because I won the lottery in every state. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to do this podcast anymore. We're I'm recording rich. this from Bora Bora right now. <laughs> I'm rich, Bjorn. <laughs> So uh, we are back with Brad, going to talk about some things not related to being dads, even though they may tie in to some extent. Uh, but Brad is a indie filmmaker. Do you say do you say indie or is that? I'll say documentary filmmaker. Okay, it doesn't bother me indie or independent. First film I made is called Homeland, which should not be confused with the way more popular Showtime series. Oh, yeah. Not starring Claire Danes. Yeah, my film did not have Claire Danes in it, but that was my first foray into independent filmmaking. And it was a scripted narrative feature. And I actually wrote the script for it Mm. and left my corporate job to produce this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. So so let's go back a little bit. Did you yeah. go to school for film? No, I, I went to school for other things and just was not overly fulfilled in my life. And mm-hmm. I was working in corporate America at Citigroup. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I had a full-time job, two and a half kids at that point. Or no, maybe when I started writing scripts, I was... I had two kids only. And so in my copious spare time, I started writing screenplays because that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> Your copious spare yeah. time. Yeah, because I had a lot of time on my hands between the kids and the job and my yeah. wife. And at night, I just started writing a screenplay. Wow. So were you, very quickly, yeah. just because I, I know that with the podcast, because mine is way too long and I do all the editing and all that stuff. And yeah. I'm basically doing it either in bed next to my sleeping wife or like downstairs, but it's all happening basically between nine 30 and one 30 in the morning. Is that yeah. what you were doing with your yeah, writing? Exactly. Something like that. Like uh, I had a desk right next to the bed and I would sit at the desk with the lamp on you know, at 10 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock, and I would just type away. And I wrote the first script, and I worked on it, and I worked on it again, and I showed it to people, and I was afraid to show it to people. And I got a couple of notes, and I was like, all right, let me try to change it. And nothing ever happened with it. Nothing. It's still good, I think. At least some, mm-hmm. some the last version may not be good, but there was a version of it that was good somewhere. Uh, and it probably got lost in all of the notes and all the rewrites. And I never made it. But um, it's a college hijinks story, mm. um, which I think would really be funny. Although I wonder in the current climate if a movie like that could ever be made. You know, sort of like Animal House, Road, oh, right, right. road Trip, Old School, like like that that kind of that kind of film. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it and, you know, thought about it and thought about it a lot and did whatever and ended up doing nothing with it. And then uh, I had an idea for another script and I took a screenwriting course. I figured that this would be the way that I would force myself to write. 
because if mm-hmm. I had a, if I had to take a class once a week where you have to submit, you know, your writing samples, then I would have to do it because that's just the type of person I am. That if I'm in a class and I have an assignment, I'll do it. But if I'm sitting there and saying like, oh, you can write tonight, like maybe I will and maybe I won't. Right. So I took the class and I wrote another script and then I wrote another script and I showed it to my sister and she said, Nobody will ever make this. And if you want to make it, you have to make it yourself. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's an interesting, interesting thing. Like, well, maybe yeah. I should do that. She's like, if you really want to make this, you have to figure out how to, how to do it yourself. Because no, no, a studio is not going to buy this story. And it was a love story between an Israeli man and a Palestinian woman set in Brooklyn. Hmm. And it's called Homeland. And um, I put the money together and I made this film and I left my job. Wow. Very stupidly. All of it's really <laughs> stupid. Because when you leave a job, it's not the job so much that is the problem. It's the pay for the job that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you have a corporate job, every two weeks, they put money in your bank account. Right. It's a really cool thing. so even if they treat you like dog shit and even if it's soul crushing you have health care and you have money Mm -hmm. which are big apparently so i didn't know especially with kids and the wife i didn't know at the time but these things are really important (laughs) so i traded all of that in for this uncertain world of oh no i'm going to make these films and they're going to make enough money for me to live on and it's going to be it's going to give my life meaning well it's partially correct because it does give my life meaning but the money this is not for the faint of heart (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i made that film we submitted it to a bunch of film festivals we got in we got you know some good reviews some less good reviews Mm -hmm. and you know essentially we had like it was on dvd and that was kind of it and then i'm going to sort of segue my career discussion to my personal life because they're they're both intertwined here so shortly after like doing the festival circuit i was diagnosed with cancer oh geez yeah a really rare form of uh cancer in my upper throat in the nasopharynx which is, I mean, my doctor like had never seen this in a Caucasian before. This is a really, yeah. This is this is way more uh, prevalent among Chinese people and North Africans. So basically, for a year, I was down and out, like out, mm-hmm. like not work, not working, not not doing much other than trying to make sure I didn't die. Jeez. Fortunately, I didn't die. Yes. And I'm okay. And I'm spoiler uh, alert. Spoiler alert. I'm still here. (laughs) Much to the chagrin of some of my family members. (laughs) But I am still here. But what it meant for me in my career was that my career ground to a halt. Mm -hmm. And when you have a corporate job and you get, you know, when there's catastrophic illness, then you go on long term disability and you still get money and nobody can fire you and you can, you know, have an office to go back to when it's all done. 
But when you're trying to carve out a new career for yourself, it's a lot harder. Right. So when I started to get better, one of the producers of Homeland, of my film Homeland, was making a documentary about uh, his father, who was a child survivor of the Buchenwald concentration camp. Mm. So I met up with him and I said, I, I need to work on this with you. And he brought me in as a producer. And we made this film called Kinderblock 66. He and I and a, and a few other people. Um, and that was my first foray into documentary filmmaking. Actually, that's not entirely true because after we finished Homeland, we got hired. I got hired to produce a documentary that a friend was making. I'm not credited on because I pulled my name off of it at the end due to some, um, uh, I guess, I wouldn't even say creative differences. It was just lack of uh, honesty by, by the people who hired me. Mm. So. I, but I did work on it, and I realized very quickly that I really like to do it. Like, I was good at it. It spoke to me, and that's what I wanted to be doing, is making documentaries. So I worked on that, then I, I worked on Kinderblock 66, which really sort of put me on this path to working on uh, films that dealt with issues like the Holocaust and, you know, more Jewish related subjects. Cause I, I, mm -hmm. I pivoted from there. Uh, I worked on a film and I worked on this film for a long time about African refugees in Israel. And we're talking about Darfuri refugees, Sudanese uh, and Eritreans who are not Jewish, who have, made their way from their home countries through Egypt, through the Sinai Desert, and into Israel. Wow. So I actually started work on that before I got sick and had to obviously put it aside. <clears throat> and I never let go of it. I think that that's one of the things that would describe my um, professional style, which is um, tenacious. You know, I once I get an idea or once I start something like I just have to see it through. So for the longest time I would say, Oh, and I'm working on this film about African refugees in Israel. And finally I said, like, you keep saying that you're working on this film, but you better actually do it. So I, I shot some of it before I got sick, like I said, and then I put it aside for probably like two years, if not longer. And then just got re-engaged with it because I never let go of the subject. And uh, a couple of years ago, that came out. Mm. And I'm, you know, happy. I uh, was very proud of that. <clears throat> and then around that same time, I was working, like writing a script with, uh, with somebody in my neighborhood. And we were sitting at my dining room table uh, not writing and just bullshitting. And he was telling me how he and his family were going to go buy their Christmas tree that weekend. And I said, okay, great. And he said, no, you know, we buy it from the same guy every year. And he's, you know, been a fixture in our neighborhood and he's really part of our holiday ritual. And it's not just us, it's everybody in, you know, with, in that neighborhood. He, he's really, you know, become, 
a huge part of the holiday. And I said, well, you know, this is a movie, right? And we sort of threw the idea around for a couple of minutes. We're like, yeah, this is a movie. This is, we're going to do this. So the first thing we had to do was convince this Christmas tree guy to participate in our film. Mm. So we walk up to Broadway and 102nd Street. This is after, you know, we sort of put this idea together. And, you know, I actually went away for a week filming uh, my documentary about the African refugees. And, you know, my my partner and I, my production partner and I were emailing each other. We're like, we got to do this. We got we to gotta talk to this guy, Francois, who um, is the Christmas tree guy, Christmas tree seller uh, on 102nd and Broadway. So I come back and the two of us walk up to 102nd and Broadway and we pitch the idea to Francois. And he looks at us and he says, independent film? And we said, yeah, an independent film. He said, I used to be a cinematographer. And for years, I thought this would be a good idea. So the two of us look at each other. We're like, yeah, of course he was a cinematographer. Like, sure. What else would he be? It's like, you know, it was so obvious at that moment that this movie was going to happen. You know, when something like that happens, you just know it's all going to work out. Right. And then it did. We made this film. We shot it uh, the following year. So it was uh, the holiday season of uh, 2013. We spent six weeks, you know, with Francois and with other Christmas tree sellers in New York, but mostly him. It's really his story. Um, You know, we drove up to Canada to be with him and his family before he left. We filmed him leaving his wife and three children. And uh, we then spent six weeks filming and then drove back up to Canada on Christmas day so that Francois could be back with his family for Christmas dinner. And cause we knew, mm. we knew that was the end of the movie, you know, from a, from a storytelling perspective, what was really appealing to me other than the fact that it was, you know, in my neighborhood and I wouldn't have to travel all over the world to make this film. It was appealing that they, we knew what the beginning of the story was and we knew what the end was. We know we knew that he left his family the week before Thanksgiving, and we knew that he goes would go home on Christmas to have Christmas dinner with his family. So, as opposed to many documentaries, which could take years, we knew that this would have a very short production time. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's exactly what happened. So, what needed to play out was to figure out what this what would happen in between the time he left home and the time he came back home. And we discovered that everything that we had hoped for about him was right. And you know, he's a great guy. he He is Christmas for an entire neighborhood of people. And he's got these two young guys who work for him, two local guys who deliver his trees. And for one month every year, he's their father. They don't have uh, strong father figures in their lives, but he's their father for one month out of the year. Wow. And that's the film. That's really, uh, that's the the origin of uh, Tree Man came from the two of us, uh, myself and uh, a production partner sitting uh, at a a table talking about buying a Christmas tree. And just for the record, I have never had a Christmas tree in my entire life. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean. Makes sense, makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. But as somebody 
who is looking at this as an outsider, it gives me a completely different perspective. So I'm able to really appreciate it because I don't take it for granted. I don't have one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people would be like, oh, now you have to have one. No, I don't have to have one. <laughs> it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful ritual. It's just not mine. It doesn't have yeah. to be mine. I don't have to have it. I can love it without making it mine. Like I, you know, the smell of the pines is fantastic. And hanging out at the tree stand is, you know, it's awesome. And since then, I go all the time. Every season when Francois comes back, I spend, you know, I just hang out there. Mm -hmm. I, I'm part of the crew. That's cool. That's the, the for me, the, the best thing about making documentary films is to meet these incredible people and to, you know, have them become part of your life and become part of their life. Yeah, that's a little bit like I kind of I, and I was thinking about that this week, too. And you you and Stephen have a completely different format because you guys have each other on your podcast. Right. But, you know, I kind of get that, you know, you and I talked very briefly yeah. previous to this, and we've had a couple of emails back and forth, but um, not that we're going to be going to the Van Halen reunion show together or anything like that. But, you know, I, I am having this connection with all of these different people that I'm talking on my podcast with, because yeah. I, I think that that's, kind of difficult not to do when I'm not just talking about movies with you. I'm not just talking about um, the star Wars universe or whatever, right. you know, I'm, I'm getting into some intimate stories with, with all of these different guys. And a lot of, a lot of which now after the first handful of episodes that I was doing are people that I really have never met and in, many cases maybe will not but i can absolutely see how that is a very cool bonus from doing documentary work yeah yeah it is i i think the best part of it you know is is getting these people who are interesting enough to be a subject of your film to you know to just become part of your life like when I was working on the movie about African refugees, it's called African Exodus. And when I was working on that, I met this guy who is a survivor of the genocide in Darfur. Mm. And I met him the day he was released from an Israeli prison. The reason that he was imprisoned in Israel is because he crossed the border illegally. So they caught him and they threw him in jail for like 13 months. Wow. This is after he left Sudan, went to Egypt, met and married a woman who then became pregnant. She was killed in a protest in a park in Cairo. Oh my God. Then he left and trekked through or paid a Bedouin smuggler to get him through the Sinai and went to Israel. So I met him the day he came out of prison and we went out to lunch together, a bunch of us. And I'm sitting next to him and I'm listening to his story and I'm thinking like, I want to just like 
poke him with my finger to see if he's real. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you like, how is this happening? How do I hear this yeah. story from this guy who's still in his 20s? Yeah. And then when I, when I got back to working on this film, I found him because he turned into one of the leaders of the Darfuri community in Israel. Oh, really? Yeah, he was uh, studying law. He was working for the Tel Aviv municipality, and he married an Israeli woman, and they now they have two kids. But he's a superstar. Like, he's an amazing human being. That's so cool. You know, like, and who, how was I supposed to know that when I'm, you know, when I'm driving with this guy and coming out of prison, that he would turn into, you know, some, like a rock star. Right. You know? Yeah. An amazing, amazing human being. And it just shows you just how strong and resilient people are. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to, to meet these people that are, I mean, obviously, Captain Obvious is saying so different from us, but the lives that that so many people have in different parts of the world and their day to day and their struggle and the things that they have to overcome. And it always, you know, I with one of my old jobs, I used to have to travel a lot. And one of the places I went to the most was the Philippines. And every time I would come home, I was just like baffled by the things that bothered me or the things that I would complain about or my, or that my friends or family would complain about and our struggle, like you threw, you used all the rest of the milk and you didn't leave me any, (laughs) you know, when these people are like living next to the freeways in these shanties that they've built and they probably have one change of clothes and you know, the kids are like, in this weird trade owned by the little province's corrupt police department. And, you know, at any time a typhoon or a landslide or something is going to come and wipe this entire village out. And, you know, I'm bummed out because I can't find the right nail clippers to clip my nails the way I like them or whatever, you know, it's just, it's so, I, I think that that's so important. And, that's one of the things that I love about documentary films is and and even some that are a little bit more mainstream now, you know, I, I took a friend of mine who probably, you know, would never experience anything similar to seeing a part of a culture like that. And, you know, that wasn't a documentary or anything like that. But seeing some of the stuff in that movie really opened that Southern California boy who I was there with opened his eyes to a lot of things that, you know, I, I think it's very important and a great thing about film that is able to not only entertain us, but educate us as well. Yeah. uh, That's, uh, that's art, right? That's what art's supposed to do is open your mind a little bit. Yeah. And give you, you know, and travel does the same thing. Like you said, you spent time in the Philippines and you saw a a part of the world and a, a life that you never would have seen uh, had you not been there and it just gives you a sense of perspective mm-hmm. so yeah i mean I, you know you've listened to the podcast that i do with steven and we're totally irreverent all the time 
but <laughs> but the work that I do, you know, I somehow for some reason I'm attracted to these like really hard subjects, like mm-hmm. you know, genocide or wrongful imprisonment or refugees, whatever whatever it is. Like these for some reason these are the things that speak to me. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any other way for me at least to be able to you know discuss or think about these issues without just like no I want to make a film about them I want people, yeah yeah I want people to see this and that's the hardest part is trying to find an audience because there's just mm-hmm. so much there's so many things competing for people's attention you know and there's so many films out there and that's great because then somebody like me can make a film because now the costs of production are going down and accessibility right. is going up and but at the same time that means like thousands of people like me can make a movie right right so there are thousands of films out there and it's a you know in many ways it's a golden era of documentary films but you know if if you make a film and nobody sees it did you really make a film <laughs> <laughs> Are you giving me the uh, if a bear yeah. shits in the woods exactly. story? <laughs> yeah. If a bear shits in the woods and nobody, yeah, no, but I mean it's it's true. Like the most frustrating part is once there's it's so hard to make a film. Like there are three discrete parts to it. One is raising the money. Two mm-hmm. is actually making the film, and then three is having your film seen. Right. So, and that, you know, they're all different skill sets that are required for these things, but generally, like, you have to do them all. Um, and the most frustrating part is to have a product, but you can't get, you can't get anybody to, to look at it. Right. Like, if you're not on iTunes, or if you're not on Netflix, or if you're not on, um, you know, Amazon Prime, like, how are people going to see your film? Right. Well, fortunately, I mean, now th- at least there are that many more yeah, avenues. And obviously right. one thing that you have going for you is that you actually have a resume now, now as opposed to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, now you do. Yeah, but it's hard to, you know, it's it's a hard road. And, you know, I think, I don't know, I have to believe that anything that I want to work on is special by the fact that I want to work on it. So if I don't get excited about it, then I'm not going to make it. But if I'm excited about it, then I think everybody should be excited about it. But mm-hmm. truth be told, not everybody is excited by the same things that excite me. Right. Um, and, and also, like, to ask people to, like, sit for an hour and a half and to be depressed about a subject, like, not, mm-hmm. everybody, wants to, not everybody wants to do that. Yeah. You know? People want Batman in the movie theater. They want Star yeah. Wars. They don't necessarily want genocide and, you know, refugee crises. They they want to go to the movies to stop thinking about these things. Yeah. But it seems to me that that all of the streaming services have kind of opened the gateway at least a tiny bit to true. that. You know, yeah. um, I, I think you hear more people. Uh, I'll just throw this out there because I haven't, I have not seen this film, um, not for any reason in particular, but you know, to hear at the proverbial water cooler, everybody saying, Oh, have you seen black fish yet? Yeah. And urging you, you have to see black fish, which right. obviously is not a cheer them up 
film or anything is, you know, is something. And for me, this is, you know, a lot of, because of where I work and I work with a very young age group. So it's, it's been kind of eye opening to me to work with a lot of young 20 year olds and have a lot of them being fairly interested in the, you know, documentary zone of things. Whereas when I was a kid or when I was in my twenties, like that market was so small. Yeah. 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 That is absolutely right. So you're right. You know, there are more ways to see things and there are more things to see. But again, like I said, it's like, we're, we're all, we're competing for a, a, an ever decreasing attention span. Right. right? And, and yeah. all, there's all sorts of different things out there. You and I were talking before about S town, right? Mm-hmm. The, pod, the podcast. Yeah. You know, that's a seven hour commitment that you're making and you're not doing it all in one sitting more likely than not, but still, you know, that's what you're going to be doing in your leisure time. Yeah. So there's that, there are other films, there's TV, there's Van Halen, there's sports. <laughs> there's just like, <laughs> there are a lot of demands on your time. Yeah. yeah. Plus, and, plus, and movies you can't do while like podcasts, right. You can do while you're doing a multitude of other things That's and right. movies, you're making somebody stop and do just that. Yeah. Yeah. You need to devote 100% of your attention to watch a movie, especially yeah. if it's a, on a serious subject. Right. Plus everybody is totally distracted by, you know, what's going on politically these days. So nobody has an attention span for anything Yeah, because everyone's, everyone's freaking out all the time. We see, it seems to be at a, little bit of a a week long lull at least right now you know until the next ridiculous thing happens until next week yeah 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 the first few weeks were like you know seven things a day that were like insane yeah now it's been it's been somewhat slowed down and i think since the uh we're about to start world war three with north korea thing that's true other than that we're good (laughs) <laughs> yeah other than we should all have shelters underneath our homes right now unless you live in hawaii and then not only can north korea effectively get their missiles to you but uh your government has turned their back exactly. on you exactly because yeah. you're some you're some island somewhere in the pacific and not you're not, uh, you're not alabama yeah, but the West Coast could get hit by a, a uh, North Korean nuke much easier than the East Coast, so I'm less right. concerned about that. So, so that's just another you know thing that's taking mind share away from documentary films. Yeah. Although at the same time, it's giving rise to a ton of new issues that could be potentially addressed in documentary films. Hmm. Yeah, I think that creates a weird balance between people wanting to be very knowledgeable and in the know on all the things that are going on and wanting to have those give me something else to look at. Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago I went out to Montana Mm. because I interviewed somebody for a film that I'm working on and I was talking with his wife. Uh, She was talking about the different groups that she's involved with, the different protest groups that she's involved with. And then a couple of days later, she sent me an email and said, 
Watch this clip from Rachel Maddow's show about Montana and the anti-Trump movement out there. She said, I think this would be a good subject for a film. I have a sister who lives out there. You should think about it. So I thought about it and I watched the um I watched the clip and I thought, okay, this is interesting. There's some interesting things going on in Montana of all places uh, with regard to the resistance. And I got put in touch with an activist and we spoke for a little while and she said, so do you think there's a story? I said, it's hard to know. There's only one real way to find out and that's for me to go out there. Mm -hmm. So I went out there for a few days. I hired a local cameraman and this woman drove us around the state uh, and introduced me to probably a dozen women who are at the forefront of the anti-Trump resistance movement in Montana. And let me say that they're all awesome. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was really invigorating to meet these, these people and to hear about what they're doing and to, and to see what they're doing. So I think what I'm going to do with that right now is put together like a short, like maybe 20 minute film. And if people are interested and want to, you know, help finance it, then I would turn that into something bigger. Cool. So that's one way that, you know, current events can sort of impact, you know, documentary filmmaking. And, and the big thing for me is, you know, you're going to go out there. What's the story? And if once you figure out what the story is, okay, who are the characters? Because without characters, then it's not really that interesting. You know, right. you, don't, you don't want to do like a 12-minute news piece. Yeah. Who wants to watch a 12-minute news piece? So some of the, there were about four, I would say four of the women who we met were really strong. They're all fantastic in different ways, but like in terms of like characters that you would want to follow, there were probably four of them who were really strong. Mm-hmm. So if we did decide, if I did decide to do anything further, it would have to obviously be, um, they would all have to agree to it. And, you know, I would have to go out there for longer. It's, it's complicated. Yeah. That's, that's why Tree Man was so easy. It was here in New York City. Right. Yeah. It's right there in your. Yeah. In my well, backyard. The backyard that you don't have. Exactly. My non-existent backyard, right, right across the street from the best pizza place in New York City. So, Which is what? It's called Sal and Carmine's. I've never actually been to New York, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. It's so, it's so criminal Like to think that I've that been to the Philippines like over 20, 20 times. I've been to Cleveland, same job, been to Cleveland probably over 15 times, and I've never been to New York. Well, New York's a lot like Cleveland. Oh, don't only even not, say that. Only not at all. Yeah, don't even say that. Um, yeah, so this this pizza place, Sal and Carmine's, has been my favorite place for a long time. And um, we actually filmed in, in there. Mm. We filmed there for Tree Man one day. We did an interview with the owner because he's friends with Francois. Oh, cool. Francois eats pizza there and got to know... It's a new generation. The owner is like the grandson of uh, Sal. Uh. Sal passed away, but uh, his grandson, Lou, has taken over with his brother. So we, we did an interview with Lou and, uh, and Francois. And I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. I'm sitting here in Sal and Carmine's, like hearing these stories about, about the, 
the original pizza guys. Yeah. So it was very cool. And uh, for a little while afterwards, like he wouldn't let me pay for a slice when I would go in there. And I just never felt good about that. Yeah. I'm like, no, this is your business. You know, I gotta, I gotta pay. I don't want, I don't want you to shut down. Yeah. Because of me. Cause you know what? Rent is so high in New York yeah. city that all of these places are at risk of being shut down. So you got to support your local, he, your local pizza guy. You got to put a sign up on his door that says all slices matter. Exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> That's <laughs> Some awesome. pizza place should make that as a shirt. That, oh, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll I can s- picture myself wearing that right now. Yeah. All slices matter. Oh, but none matter as much as a salad and caramelized slice. Yeah. But no, that was uh, that was a fun thing that we got to do. So, you know, you do cool things like that and you feel, at least I feel like oh, this is, there's nothing better. There's no, there's no greater feeling. I mean, I'm sure it would be great to win an Academy Award. That right. would probably be a better, a better feeling than filming and selling Carmine's, but uh <laughs> You know, I count my I count my little victories. Yeah. Well, it's cool. I mean, the thing that I took away from what you said was that the kind of flip of what I was saying or thinking that the bonus is more of that something is getting made and the real payoff for you is getting to know these people, creating those relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that's exactly right. That's why I love. I love doing uh, sit-down interviews with people, mm-hmm. you know, much, much like what you're doing now. But I, I really, um, I, I get a charge out of it, especially talking with older people, mm-hmm. yeah, and hearing their stories. And, and you know, when you when you're working on a on a film like this on a certain topic, the longer obviously the longer you work on it, the more you learn about the the subject. Um, and you can start putting pieces together and connecting dots in ways that people who you're talking to wouldn't necessarily know about. Yeah. And it's just, it becomes, it's awesome. Yeah. It becomes more of an informed conversation yeah. instead of just and, an and, interview. And then you sort of surprise somebody by saying something like by just showing them the level of knowledge that you have. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how do you know that? I'm yeah. like, well, I'm making, a, I'm making a movie about this. Yeah. I have to know. I got to know it. Yeah. Yeah. I got to know this. Yeah. I'm working on this film right now about, um, the Swedish aristocrat named Raoul Wallenberg who rescued tens of thousands of Jews in Budapest at the end of the Holocaust only to be, um, to be arrested by the Russians and disappeared into the gulag, never to be seen again. Um, and this is, you know, I, I started working on this on the heels of, of my work on Kinderblock. And we screened Kinderblock in New Jersey. And this guy came up to me and he said, my name is so-and-so and my cousin was in the Kinderblock. Really? Wow. And and I said, what did you say your last name was? And he repeated it. And I said, I know exactly who your cousin was because his cousin was like the historian of the Kinderblock. And he died like a year before we started production on the film. Wow. But one of the car- one of the guys in the film kept telling me about him. Mm-hmm. Like he told me about him over and over. So I knew. 
But this guy, like I was the only one on the crew, like uh, who made this film, who knows who this person is because, you know, of the work that I did and just the conversations I had. Mm-hmm. So if he had come up to anybody else, it wouldn't have registered. Right. Right. But right. He came up to me and he told me who, and I'm like, I know exactly who your cousin was. And then he told me that he was from Hungary and he was rescued by Raul Wallenberg. So I'm like, I'm like, great. Now I get to interview you for my film. <laughs> so you already knew about the next project at this point? Well, I, yeah, I was already working oh, on okay. it at that point. And, uh, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to interview you. That's then. awesome. And, yeah. And we did that. So again, it's like connecting these dots that wouldn't necessarily have occurred to you had you not worked on stuff before. Yeah. So I don't know if it's serendipity. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But when things like that happen, you feel, again, you feel like there's a, these things happen for a reason. Right. You know, and all of them are kind of falling into a perfect place. Yeah. It's great when that happens. It doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, you're like, wow. Yeah. This is cool. Since I'm assuming that you, well, I guess I shouldn't assume how, how much do you take in of other documentary films? I try to watch uh, as much as I can, and I'll ask people who have, you know, what they know about, what's new, what mm-hmm. they've worked on, what their friends are working on, you know. And right now, uh, because I'm in the midst of editing this Raul Wallenberg film, I'm very much in the mindset of historical docs. Mm-hmm. And on Netflix right now, there's a series, a documentary series. It's three parts called Five Came Back. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah. So I started watching that. And the interesting thing about that is it's about um, these Hollywood directors who were sent to document World War II. Uh, What's interesting is that Netflix is now putting some of those actual documentaries on the service. So oh. not only can you watch five came back, you can watch some of the films that they cool. made. Yeah. And that's, that's a really cool thing. So, you know, just looking at, at how documentaries were made, you know, in the 1940s and how they're made now, um, you know, there's certain commonalities just like in any other films, but there are things that are different and it's, you know, it's always evolving I think the last documentary I saw in theaters was I'm Not Your Negro, Mm. uh, the James Baldwin Mm -hmm. film, which I thought was really great. Um, I don't watch like a lot of TV stuff, so I'll be on Netflix just like poking around documentaries all the time, pretty much. Um, So I do try to watch when I can. So then next question would be as a, as your world is basically immersed in documentary film how much do you put time and effort into mainstream you know i'm I'm like a 15 year old still so i'll watch the movies with they're on cable that like i liked when i was growing up Mm -hmm. my son and i watch fast times at ridgemont high every time it comes (laughs) on tv how can you not because you have to right i mean you you have to every time it comes on so and then all of these Judd Apatow movies, every time they come out, I'll just, mm-hmm. like, whatever I'm doing, it doesn't matter. I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch this again. And I'm going to watch I Love You, Man, or I'm going to watch so good. Forgetting uh, Sarah Marshall or whatever yeah. other movies are, are on. 
in terms of like what have I seen? I don't know if I've seen anything recently in the theater. Maybe the last thing I saw was uh, Star, the last Star Wars movie oh, okay. with my kid. That was in December. And then you know we, I was on a plane and I watched Moonlight. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen that yet. I, I thought it was really good. And then what was the other one that I saw? Oh, uh, Manchester by the Sea. Oh, what did you think of that? It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I, I really want to, yeah. but I haven't been able to say, I want to be in that pit. Right, exactly. That's, <laughs> you know? that's, kind, of, that's kind of the headset you're going to be in. Yeah. The mindset, um, rather. Yeah, it's, those are both. like the, Neither one of those movies are easy to, you know, they're, they're not romps. You know, you're not, yeah. they're not popcorn flicks that you're, you know, having a great old time at the theater watching, but they're important movies to watch nevertheless. Yeah. Which is good, which I think is really good. You know, I'm going, I don't think she will ever listen to this. Um, my mother-in-law who goes to movies all the time, she's recently retired and she did previously as well, but I don't picture her as the type of person to go pay money to see something like moonlight or, fences or you know or lion or all these films that are out this last year um so i think that that's really fantastic that they still are getting the not made because they'll they always will be but the uh wide recognition that is bringing a lot more people to see them that i think normally would not is is very important yeah, I think Moonlight especially, like, you know, there's no, there are no big name actors in it. Right. But it got enough press that people, you know, there was enough buzz around it that people went to see it. Yeah, the Oscars didn't hurt that. Yeah, it didn't hurt. But even before <laughs> the Oscars, like, even before the Oscars, like, they, it was, they were just getting a lot of... Yeah. One of the things that I, I was kind of giggling about this week when I walked into Target was now that Moonlight and La La Land and all of those movies are out, they have a big, you know, their big stand-up that's yeah. columned movies and side by side. And if you're walking right at it, right at the right angle, you're seeing both Moonlight and La La Land. And it says like Academy Award or Oscar winner, best picture or whatever. And your eyes can almost play the trick on you and make it seem like La La Land was the movie that won Best Picture. I thought it was great that they put those side by side. So from a distance, yeah. if you squint, you still could make La La Land the winner. It still win. In the parallel universe, it did. Right? Yeah. In the parallel in, in, universe, it's Target. All right. Well, um, we've exhausted your your time i'm sure it's now 115 there yeah uh, but so, i feel invigorated nevertheless that's good <laughs> yeah no this is a lot of fun i'm i'm the red bull of podcasts <laughs> or something you're the co- you're the cocaine of podcasts <laughs> great i'm just gonna put that right on right the on podcast the, right on the show hey mom i just want to let you know that one of my guests came up with this great idea. Yeah, I'm the cocaine of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you proud of uh, me? Aren't you proud of me? Yeah, I've really come far. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, your, wouldn't your, dad be so your proud? Father would be so proud. <laughs> 
Oh, geez. And that's really what it's all about. Right. That's what, yeah, that's what the podcast was built around. Yeah. So thank you again for all of your time. Thank uh, you. I really had a good time uh, talking with you. I will remind everybody, as we did in the previous episode, that you can find Brad on Twitter. B-R-A-D, Brad, four, the number four, R-D-O. But you can also uh, find Tree Man, which is Brad's film on Netflix. You can go to diginextfilms.com, D-I-G-I, nextfilms.com, to view two of your other films. Yeah, African Exodus and Kinderblock 66. Kinderblock 66 is on iTunes. Hmm, okay. And then you should also absolutely listen to God you guys are more really the cocaine of podcasts yeah, well, the two of you together off of each other's energy the, the, amen, yeah. the amen corner the amen corner because we always agree with each other so we're just basically saying amen to one another all the time I'm glad you said that I was always wondering like why they still haven't said why they are named this oh you know we should probably talk about that one time yeah but it's like we basically you know we don't if you listen to us, you hear that we don't really have disagreements with each other. We're just like reinforcing each other's beliefs, right, right. which is really, you know, intellectually not the greatest, um, <laughs> not the greatest thing. But it makes us feel good, and we have a good time when we do it. And it, you know, yeah, we're like, of course, everybody thinks the same way we think. It's like, well, maybe not. <laughs> but it does feel good to know that there's at least one person out there. Yeah, there's one guy who thinks the way I think. <laughs> Um, one of my friends told me, she's like, it's very bro oriented. Oh <laughs> gosh. Podcast. I'm like, yeah, well, uh, you said that like, it's a bad thing. Like as far as I'm concerned, that's a really good thing. So <laughs> Thank is, you for that compliment. Yeah. It is bro oriented because Steven and I are like brothers on the, you know, yeah. except we're not fighting with each other like brothers. So, but it's not like, it's not bro. Like, no, like let's talk about. These yeah. guy only things, I, right? And, and we're not disrespectful to women, and we don't. Well, we do curse, but women curse too, though. Yeah, but I wouldn't call it a family-friendly podcast. I wouldn't, you know, my kids hear it, but um, I wouldn't recommend it for like a five-year-old. Yeah, I do not play that in the car while my <laughs> four-year-old is sitting in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No offense. No, none taken. That should be like, <laughs> those people have bad language. Yeah, they use bad language. Uh, so you should find Brad in all of those ways, <laughs> and um, you should, you know, send him tweets and tell him how you loved all of that stuff. And if you don't like any of my films or my podcast, don't tweet to me, <laughs> please. Then tweet to Stephen. Yeah, and and if you're going to do those tweets, do it to Stephen Cook. Yeah, Stephen A. Not Stephen A. Cook. No, no. If yeah. if you're going to complain about Brad, complain to Stephen Cook, the original Stephen Cook. <laughs> Yeah. Colonel. <laughs> Colonel Stephen Cook. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks again, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening in to that second episode with myself and Brad Rothschild. You can find Daddy Unscripted at daddyunscripted.com. 
on the internet, and that is where the original blog is. You can go back and see some of my writings before this even became a podcast, and some of the stuff about Brad as well is in a new little prelude to these recordings with him, so find that on there. You can find Daddy Unscripted on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, all as Daddy Unscripted. And you can send me an email at any time at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. And I love getting those emails from you guys. I love getting those direct messages, whatever, where you are talking with me about the episodes, where you are talking with me about guests that you would like to hear from. So keep that coming. I can't have this episode without thanking Stephen A. Cook for bringing Brad and myself together for these episodes. So thank you very much, Stephen, for nominating uh, Brad for sitting down and recording with me. And big thanks also to Umphreys McGee for making that partnership happen with the podcast and their music and making it possible. So check out Umphreys.com and you can thank me later. So keep an eye out the next two episodes with another guest will be coming out soon. And thanks again for listening, you guys. I really appreciate it. And keep spreading the news of this podcast to your friends. Thanks. Thank you very much.